And we're going to look in the book of Acts this morning and uh, ask the Lord for his blessings as we uh, look into the word of God for just a few minutes. I want you to look, if you would, at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Now, if you will be patient with me as I kind of give an intro here. Uh, so you might, you might think as, as we're opening up, you might say, well, I know it's Mother's Day today and it just doesn't seem like this message is uh, going uh, towards uh, or gearing towards mothers. But we are going to talk about mothers today. So I hope it will be a blessing to you. And that's not what we're going to talk about in entirety. But we're talking about something the Bible talks to us about that describes a mother and then how it leaves us an example. And I, ho I hope it will be a blessing to you as we hear from this this morning. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. The children uh, just sang a song, and the title of it, in case you didn't hear him as he mentioned it, was My Mother's Gentle Love. The, the message I'd like to preach this morning is this. I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled, A Mother's Gentle Love. I hope it'll be a help to you, but I want to go a step further. Because I never want us to be in a service on Mother's Day or maybe perhaps as Father's Day rolls around where we think that this is a, mother, uh, this is a message just for the ladies or just for mothers. Uh, no, it really it's geared for all of us, so I'm putting a second title on it, and the second title is A Christian's Gentle Love. So a mother's gentle love, but then a Christian's, a, a child of God, how they are to love with a gentle love. And we're going to talk about it this morning. I hope it will be a blessing to you. Look at Acts chapter 17, if you would. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 17 are on uh, Paul's second missionary journey. So Paul has already taken one missionary journey and uh, worked uh, uh, to encourage people and to spread the gospel. And now he is on his second missionary journey. And when we pick up here in Acts chapter number 17, uh, the Bible tells us that Paul has just, uh, just left uh, the city of Philippi. And if you're familiar with Acts chapter number 16, you know that when he was in Philippi, he was in a jail cell. As a matter of fact, he was there for preaching the word of God. It wasn't anything that he had done wrong. He was there for preaching the word of God. And he was in that jail cell in the city of Philippi waiting for his trial to take place. And so there in the city of Philippi, uh, the Bible tells us that Paul is there in that jail cell uh, with Silas. And the Bible tells us an angel comes. And this is the chapter that comes before where we're at in chapter 17. That an angel comes, comes there into that jail cell and, and delivers, rescues Paul and Silas. The Bible tells us as they are in that jail cell, they're, they're singing praises to the Lord. They're rejoicing in the Lord. Even though they're going through a trial, they're still rejoicing in the Lord. And God delivers them. And the Bible tells us from that place, they go to two cities right before they get to the city that we're going to talk about this morning. Would you look in Acts chapter 17? And would you look with me in verse number 1? The Bible says this, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and uh, Apollonia, Apollonia, excuse me, they came to Thessalonica. So there are two cities that the Bible tells us they passed through. If you would look at a map of Paul's missionary journeys, you would see him as he arrives in the city of Philippi and then as he visits these two cities before he comes to the city of Thessalonica. And the Bible tells us as he comes to Thessalonica, look what he does in verse number 17, or chapter 17, verse number 1, if you would. Where was a synagogue of the Jews? Now again, bear with me as I... Give you some thoughts from Acts, then we're going to look at another passage of Scripture that's going to lead up to the thought that we're going to give you this morning about a mother's gentle love. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture. So the Bible tells that Paul preaches to those that are in the city of Thessalonica for three weeks in a row. So three Sabbath days roll around. 
And every Sabbath day, the Bible tells us that Paul goes in, Silas goes in to the synagogue, and he preaches to those that are in the city of Thessalonica. Now, what do you think he's preaching about? Well, the Bible very clearly lets us know what he's preaching about in verse number 3. Look with me if you would. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So what is Paul preaching about when he gets to the city of Thessalonica? The Bible tells us he is reasoning from the scriptures and the parts of the scriptures that he is dealing with are the parts of the scriptures that teach that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again. And the one who did that, the one who did that work for us on the cross and then who rose from the grave, that was Christ who did that. So what does it sound like he's preaching from? If we would declare, if we would give a definition of what the gospel is, we would say the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's preaching, right? So here's Paul preaching the gospel. Now, we sang a song already today, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. There is no way to come to Jesus but by the blood that he shed for us, which is exactly what Paul's preaching about here. He's preaching about the fact that Jesus died, he shed his blood for us, he was buried, and he rose again. He's giving the gospel message. That's the only way you can come to know Christ as your Savior. That's the only way you can have the promise of heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus is saying the work that I finished on the cross is sufficient to take you to heaven and is the only way that you can get to heaven. He says, I am the way. I'm not a way. I am the way, Jesus says, the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now maybe perhaps there might be somebody sitting here today that you would say, well, I, know, I, I, haven't, I haven't heard a whole lot about this gospel message. Well, the gospel message is that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, but he did it for you. Here's the reason why he did it for you, because every one of us are sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is a punishment for our sin. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Not just the physical death, but spiritual death, which is a separation from God for all of eternity. So there's some problems, right? We're sinners. There's a punishment for our sin. But that's where Jesus' death comes in. Because God loved us so much that the Bible tells us he sent his son the Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he commendeth or showed or proved or demonstrated his love for us. While we were sinners, he made a choice to die for us. You say, well, I wasn't alive when he died. But he knew that you would come to this earth. And he knew that you'd be a sinner because everybody has been born as a sinner. Our, our uh, birth through our fathers passed that on to us. We have that sin nature that has been passed on to us ever since Adam in the Garden of Eden. So we're all sinners. There's a punishment for our sin. But God loved us so much, he died for us. He shed his blood on the cross. Again, what can wash away my sin? It's nothing but the blood, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you say, well, how do I, how do I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven? What do I have to do? Well, the Bible says, for whosoever. Now, aren't you thankful that you can include yourself in that name, whosoever? That's for anyone, isn't it? Now, not everyone will come to know Jesus as Savior, but everyone has the possibility of knowing Christ as Savior because he died for all. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In prayer to God, by faith now, it's not about some kind of a special word in a prayer, but it's the position of our heart. It's our faith that we put in the Lord. You call on the Lord and you tell him you're a sinner. 
You tell him you believe that he died for you and he was buried and he rose again and you ask him to be your savior by faith now. You weren't there when he died. I wasn't there when he died. I didn't lay my eyes on him while he was on the cross. But by faith, I believe that what his word said he did is exactly what he did. And I believe that if I trust in him as my savior, that that promise and that hope of heaven is, 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 is good for me. That God says, that's the gift I want to give you. And that gift is eternal life. And we just have to reach out and we have to receive that gift. So that message that I just shared with you right there, the gospel, how you can know for sure you're going to heaven, is the message that Paul was preaching here to those that were in the city of Thessalonica. Can I say that? Can I, can I say this about that message? That's the most important message you will ever hear. Matter of fact, the most important day of your life is the day that you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if there would be somebody that's sitting here that has never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I say this? I've prayed for you already that God would save you today. I've prayed for you that God would speak to your heart. And that if he speaks to your heart, your heart would be tender enough to say, God, I need to do that. I need to, I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to a place of punishment if I don't trust you as my Savior and I need to do that. And I trust that you'll do that today. I trust that you'll make that decision to trust Christ as Savior. The Bible says that that's, what, that's the message Paul was preaching. And the good news is, the Bible says many of them believed him. Many of them believed him. Can I say that it's not necessarily about believing Paul, though. They believed the message of the gospel, didn't they? They believed what Jesus did. Paul was just the instrument that was used of God to share the message. So notice what the Bible says in verse number 4. It says this, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. They joined Paul and Silas now. They were so excited about what has happened. They believed and they joined Paul and Silas. And notice this, And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But there were some that rejected. There are only two possibilities today. When someone hears the gospel, there are only two possibilities. You're either going to receive it or you're going to reject it. There are two different categories of people in here today. There are those who have believed, those who have received, and those who are in, still in their unbelief. They've, they've, they, they have either, either they haven't heard the message of salvation or they've rejected it. They've pushed it away. There are only two categories of individuals, those that are saved and those that are lost. Those that have received, those that have rejected. The Bible says there's a group here that believes... And then there's a group the Bible tells us that because of jealousy, they refuse to. And that group is listed as the Jews. Let me, if you would, one more time in verse number five. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy. So some of the Jews were jealous. And notice this group of people that they round up for the purpose of causing a riot. Look at what it says now, verse number five. They were moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. What a title. We're gathering up certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. And you say, well, what does that mean? What is the group of people that they're gathering up? Well, they are rounding up the individuals within the town there that are idle. They have nothing else to do. They're, they're unprincipled people, which means they don't have a whole lot of character. And there are also individuals that would be considered a lower class of individuals. It had nothing to do with their class or their status as much as it was that they were unprincipled individuals. They just had a lack of character. And the Bible tells us with that group of people, they start a riot. Look with me if you want at the end of verse number 5. They gather up these certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city in an uproar, or excuse me, on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason and to bring them out to the people. The Bible tells us they rushed to the house of this man named Jason. 
Now, Jason was one of the believers who Paul and Silas were, were staying with. And so they thought, if we can get to his house, we can pull Silas and Paul out of there because we're angry at what they're preaching. Look with me, if you would, at the next verse, verse number 6. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying. Now, no these that turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now, what are the people in Thessalonica, what are the Jews there that are in an uproar? What are they saying? They're saying these men are the ones that are responsible for turning this world upside down for Christ. Not for something wrong, but for something good. These men are the ones that are responsible. They've turned this world upside down for Jesus, and now they're trying to bring it here to us too. They've done it other places. We're not so happy that they've come here to the, to the city of Thessalonica, and they're trying to pull this on us too. That's what they're saying there. They've turned the world upside down, and now they've come here too. So look what it says in verse 7. Whom Jason hath received, meaning they were they were staying with him. And look at verse number 7. It says, And these all do come. Say there is another king, one Jesus. See, they're, 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 they're trying to cause an insurrection here. They're trying to cause problems, saying there's another king other than Caesar. And so that's why we want them out of our city. And it says in verse number 8, And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other... They let them go. The Bible is teaching us there at verse number eight that there was, or excuse me, verse number nine, that there was some way that Jason kind of eased this riot. He kind of eased the problems there and they kind of dismissed him and they let him go. Now, I took you to Acts chapter 17 for a reason because I wanted you to notice in Acts chapter number 17 the way that the church of Thessalonica was started. The church of Thessalonica was started by many believers believing and putting their faith and trust in the Lord, but also through a lot of persecution. Did you notice it? A lot of persecution they had to go through. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in verse number 10, look at it real, real quickly if you would there, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. Paul and Silas were forced to even escape by night. They had to get out of there. They were going through so much persecution. Now here's what I need you to do. In your I want you to turn to the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at uh, today that I hope will be a help to us. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a moment if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter two, number 2, Paul is going to describe for us the way he and others ministered to the people there at Thessalonica. We've talked about how the church got established at Thessalonica. Now Paul is going to use the book of 1 Thessalonians to talk to us about how he and others that were at that city ministered to those people that were in Thessalonica. Now notice with me, if you would, verse chapter 2, verse number 1. For your know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. And Paul's saying, when we came to visit you, the story we just read in Acts chapter 17, when we came to visit you, it was not in vain. Now, we would agree with that, right? Because many people believed, right? So if many people put their faith and trust in Christ, then what Paul and Silas did were not in vain, right? Now, look with me, if you would, at verse number 2. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Now, do you notice what he says in verse number, uh, verse number 2? He says, we had already gone through a lot of persecution at Philippi. And by the way, the persecution they went through at Philippi there when they had to be put into prison, that would have stopped many a person right there. I don't want to go through that anymore. But the Bible says that didn't stop us. We just went on to the next city. 
And we, we knew we might face it again, but we went on to the next city. Why? Because the gospel was that important to them. They knew how important it was to share the gospel. So we got to move on to the next city no matter what we had to go through. And he said even when we got to Thessalonica, we had to go through a lot of contention. Man, there was a lot of problems we had to face. We had to escape at night so we could get away from them. Now look at verse number 3. I want you to notice what Paul did not do when he ministered to the people of Thessalonica. This is what he did not do. Then we're going to notice what he did do. And it's going to help us this morning, I hope. Verse 3, for our exhortation was not of... Here's what Paul's trying to say. He said, when we came into the city of Thessalonica, we did not minister in such a way where we were trying to deceive people. We weren't trying to use our mouth to lie. We weren't trying to be deceptive at all. Notice another thing that Paul describes that he does not do. Look at verse number 5. For neither at any time used we flattering words... As ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. He's saying we didn't try to just please people or impress people in any way. It wasn't about flattering with our, our tongue. Just to try to impress people, to say something about you that would flatter you that really is not even true about you. Paul said we didn't do that. Notice what else he didn't do. Look with you at the end of verse number 5. He says, nor a cloak of covetousness. Paul said we didn't do this for greed's sake either. Notice something else he said we did not do it for. Look at verse number 6. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others. He said it wasn't about our own personal gain or our own personal glory. So then we get to verse 7. And we do all of this to get us to verse number 7 so that we can make an application this morning, I trust, for our mothers and for Christians as, whole, as a whole. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 7. Paul has already expressed to the church of Thessalonica what we did not do when we ministered to you, but now we see what we did do. Look at verse number 7. Notice how he describes the way he and others ministered to the church there of Thessalonica. Look at verse number 7, if you would. Ready? But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. would cherish or show. Paul said that is how we ministered to those that were of the church of Thessalonica, just like a mother would take care of a baby. So I want you to notice a couple, th a couple simple thoughts that I hope will be a help to us today when we think about our mother's gentle love, but then our love that ought to be gentle and kind as a Christian as well. The first thing I today is... A description, a description of the kindness and gentleness of a mother. Think about the needs that a mother meets for her child. A baby needs protection, don't they? A baby needs protection. And what does a mother do? A mother, in her gentle way, she holds and she calms her child when her child has a fear, when her child may be going through a moment in which it just needs to. Parents, it's mother's protection. Mothers, we are thankful for that gentle touch as you hold your children, as you calm your children, or maybe perhaps even in your life right now, you'd say as a, as a grandparent maybe at times, I can show my gentle love towards my children, my grandchildren, and be able to protect them when they need that calmness of that mother. They need that just that gentle touch or that gentle love from their mother. A baby needs protection. A baby also needs attention. And so what does a mother do? Not only do they protect their child, and they're going to make sure their child is not hurt, they're going to make sure their child is taken care of, they're going to have that gentle touch to be able to do that, but they also realize their child needs attention, and what do they do? They gently provide the needs of their child. 
Whatever that child has need of, they make sure that if it's the diaper that needs change, that gets done. If the clothes are wet, I'm going to change that. Whatever it is, if there's a, if there's a sickness, if there's a sickness, they're not going to just let their child stay there or lay there sick. They're going to try to make sure they give the attention to the child, to the baby, that it needs, right? That's what a mother's gentle love does. But then there's something else that a child needs. Not only do they need that protection, not only do they need that attention, but they also need nourishment, don't they? A, a, a child would not live without nourishment, but at the same time, a child cannot do anything to nourish themselves, can they? They've got to make sure that they are being taken care of. So just like in the womb of a mother, God is providing that nourishment, isn't he? God is taking care of that child as they are in the womb of their mother, and God has worked all of that out in his perfect way of miracle for that mother to be able to hold that child and to bear that child for those nine months and nourish it in the womb of its mother but then when that child is born it still has need of a mother to take care of it it still has a need of a mother to nourish it so what does a mother do a mother gently in her way of loving she ensures that her child receives food she ensure, ensures that her child receives whatever it is that's needed to nourish that child so that that child can develop. So to summarize everything that we said about a mother, which gives us a, a description, excuse me, of their gentleness, their kindness to their baby, to summarize it all, we would say it this way, mothers give of themselves care for their babies, don't they? They give of themselves. And mothers, I know that you would say this because I've watched my wife mother are for children there's a cost that comes with it right there's a cost now we're not necessarily always talking about a financial cost although there's a financial cost in raising babies as well we understand that but it's not just about the financial cost mother sometimes there's some sleepless nights right and you say it'd be nice to to rest a little while but you're not thinking about yourself are you there's a cost you're thinking there's somebody that needs attention there's somebody that needs protection. There's somebody that needs some nourishment. They need something from mama. And mama's going to make sure whatever it is, whatever I've got, whatever the cost is, I'm going to make sure in my gentleness, I'm going to take care of the needs of my baby. Can I say this, mothers? Not only does it cost you, but it's not always convenient, is it? It's not always convenient. Matter of fact, there are mothers that are sitting in here that probably give us stories of not just one sleepless night, but many in a row. And you'd say it wasn't always convenient, but I did it because of that gentle love that I have in my heart towards my children. Could you, could you with me now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, could you look at a couple verses under this and notice some additional descriptions that Paul gives that is comparable to the gentle love of a mother, of how he helped out with the church of Thessalonica. So he's using a comparison here. He's saying, this is how I took care of the church of Thessalonica. Just like a mother would in her gentle love take care of her child, this is how I took care of the church. And he doesn't just describe it as a gentle love. Notice some other descriptions that he gives. Look at you would in verse number 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have excuse me, imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Notice the first and the last part of that verse. The first and the last part of that verse. Notice it says this. For, excuse me, so being affectionately desirous of you, 
We were willing. Notice the last part of it. It says, because ye were dear unto us. What is the Bible saying there? A mother does what? She gives of herself. She gives of herself. By the way, that's what love is, right? Love is an action word. Love doesn't just always talk. Love proves by action. And so that's what mothers do. They give of themselves. Paul said, this is what I want a Christian to be like. I want a Christian to be described like a mother would be. The gentle kindness that they have. The love that they have where they're willing to even give of themselves. By the way, that's what God wants us to do when we serve Him. To give of ourselves so that He always comes first. Notice another description of a mother's love. Look at verse number 9. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail. Mothers, would you ever describe taking care of a baby as labor and travail? Right? There's a lot of work that goes into it, right? Look how often He did this. Laboring night and day. Any mothers could give a witness to that? You're laboring night and day. What's Paul saying? To describe the way that he treated the church of Thessalonica as he compares it to a mother's love, he said it was constant labor. Constant labor. Mothers, as you cared for your child, and by the way, mothers that are a little bit older in here today, you still can go back to those days where you say, I cared for the children. And some of you, maybe they had multiple children. Maybe even close up against each other. You say, man, there was just constant labor. There was constant work. And can I say this? That constant labor and that constant giving of yourself, it requires patience, doesn't it? You say, man, i got to be patient. There's times i got to be patient and kind of put myself last and, and, and willingly and patiently and gently and in kindness reach out to meet the needs of my child all while you're taking care of meeting the needs at, at the home as a whole as well, right? A, a lot of demand that's on you. And that's why we say today we express our love. We express our appreciation for our mothers. Now, why would Paul act this way to the church of Thessalonica? Because we're looking at a description of his gentleness. Why would he act this way? Well, he describes to us why he does this. Well, why does he act the way he does? And why would, he, why would a mother act the way they do? Look at verse number four, if you would. But as ye were allowed of God to put in trust, to put, excuse me, to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing man, but God. Now, mothers, here's a big challenge for you. Here's what Paul says about the church of Thessalonica. He said, the reason I acted the way I did is because I want to please God. Mothers, one of the reasons why you care for your children as much as you do, especially spiritually, especially trying to meet the spiritual needs of your child, is because you want to please God. God, I want to do what you have for me to do. And so if I want to be pleasing to you, God, I got to, put, I got to make sure I take care of my child the way I, I should i got to make sure I'm nourishing them, protecting them, giving them the attention they need. By the way, I'll say this. I'll just throw this in as a thought here because God just laid it on my heart now. This is why we as a church and myself as an individual and pastor of this church as well would say that we in no way, shape, or form would stand for abortion. We believe that every child has a purpose and God has a reason for every child. We don't believe that a life of a child should be taken. We believe God has given that duty, that task to a mother to be able to say, I want to please the Lord. I want to make sure I do what God would have me to do when it comes to raising my child. So I want to please the Lord. Paul said that's why we're doing this because we want to please the Lord. But notice what else he said. It kind of goes hand in hand with it. He says in verse number 6, not of men should we glory. He's saying the reason why we're doing what we're doing for the church of Thessalonica is because we want to do it to the glory of God. Mothers, can I say your duty as a mother to raise your children the right way, it's to the glory of God. So that God could be glorified because, by the way, that's the purpose of why we're here. To bring glory to the Lord in whatever we do, whatever task God has given you. If God has 
the role of a mother, it's to bring glory to God. If he's given you the role of a grandmother, it's to bring glory to God. By the way, men in here, the role that he's given us as a Christian, as a child of God, whatever role God's given to us, it's for the glory of God so that he is magnified, so that he is honored, so that he is glorified. And so that speaks to the spiritual part of our children, right? We want God to get the glory through their lives, right? One of the prayer requests I know my wife and I have is that all of our children would come to know Jesus as their Savior. And then one of the other prayer requests we have is that they will stay faithful to God. And they will find a place where they can serve God and be used of God for His honor and His glory. That's what we want. We want to bring glory to God, not just in our lives, but in the lives of our children as well. And I trust that we would say, certainly as mama's in here today, you say, I want to bring glory to God. And the way I'm going to do that is to raise my children for the honor and the glory of the Lord. Notice something else he does as he shows his love for the church of Thessalonica. Verse number 8, it says this, So being affectionately desirous of you. I know I already read the verse. Look at the end of the verse. Because you were dear unto us. He says, I want to do this for the church of the Thessalonica because I love them. Mothers, you do what you do for your children because you love them, right? You say, I love them. Man, I want to take care of them. There's a love in my heart for them. And I truly believe this with mothers. It's almost as if it doesn't even matter what the child does. It's like, there's no way you, my love could be taken away. Now, I might not love what you're doing, but there's no way my love could be taken away from you. That's the strong love of a mother, right? And God says that's what he, Paul did with the church of Thessalonica. So we saw a description of that gentleness. And then real quickly, I want you to notice the example of gentleness. The example of gentleness. We saw a mother that was used as an example of gentle love. But can I say this? Gentleness in our love really ought to be an example in our lives as Christians in all of the relationships that we have. This is where it really hits home to a Christian now. Not just a mother, a Christian. There ought to be gentleness or kindness in our love as a Christian in all of our relationships. Think about husbands and wives. There ought to be a gentleness and a kindness in our love one towards another, right? Think about siblings. Siblings, they ought to have a love one for another and have a gentleness and a kindness and a love that they have and an appreciation one for another. Think about parents with their children. I know we're already talking about it with mothers and their love for their children. But parents with their children to say, I want to love you the right way. But how about church members? How about church members? I shared this morning in Sunday school with our starting point class how that I was reading a verse of scripture this morning. Uh, before, before, uh, after I, shortly after I got up, I was reading a verse of scripture that talked about how that we ought to dwell together in unity as brethren. That means as, as God's people, we ought to have a gentle kindness and a love in our heart one towards another, even if not everybody is like you. Even if you say, well, they're, they're a little different than I am. Let's have a gentle love that we have in our hearts for church members, but then let's go a step further. How about a gentle, kind love in our hearts for sinners? For sinners that need the Savior. For somebody that needs to come to know Christ, they ought to see us loving them with the kind and gentle love that God has for us and that a mother is described as having for her children. Let's love sinners. Let's look at sinners through the eyes of Jesus Christ, through the eyes of grace, so that we may point them to Christ, so that they can know Jesus as their Savior. It reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan. How the Good Samaritan saw that man that was injured and robbed and everybody else went by the wayside. We heard it last Sunday night. If you were here, our evangelist spoke about compassion. 
And he spoke about the good Samaritan that came up and it cost him something. It wasn't convenient. It took of his time and his schedule. But he still did it because of the kindness and the gentle love that he had in, the, in his heart for somebody that he saw that was injured and robbed and beaten and half dead. He took care of him and met the needs that he had. Can I say this? All throughout scripture we would always use Jesus as the greatest example. And Jesus is the greatest example of gentleness and kindness we could ever have. What an example. The Bible talks to us about how that he extended grace to us. We do not deserve to go to heaven. Not one of us could sit here and say, well, I deserve that. We don't deserve to go to heaven. But aren't you thankful that God is a God of grace? That even describes what grace is. Grace is God's undeserved favor. It's something we do not deserve, but God extended it to us. Aren't you thankful that he is an example of gentleness and kindness and love just like a mother would be? So we saw the description of this gentleness. We saw an example, but I'll close with this. I want us to notice the importance of this kind of love. I want us to notice the importance of gentleness. We saw a description of gentleness with a mother, and then Paul describes how he cared for the church that way. And then we saw an example, a mother's example of gentleness, and then Jesus as the greatest example. And the idea that we ought to be examples, shining our light to others that need to know Christ and our fellow brethren as well. But then how about the importance of gentleness? May we as God's people ask God to help us to show gentleness and patience and love to one another. May we say that's how important it is. I can see the importance in this gentle love that we're talking about today. And can I say that ought to be shown to everyone. Family and friends, by the way, family and friends, that's easy. Well, maybe not with family all the time. But friends, we would say, hey, you know, they're my friend. It's kind of easy to have gentle love with them. But how about the Bible extends it a little bit further and says even our enemies. We're to show kindness and love and gentleness with even our enemies. Even those who don't always treat us right. Even those who may perhaps be strangers. Even those who, by the way, don't always repay us with kindness and gentleness and love. But yet we're going to say, I, I, that's how important it is. I've got to show patience. I've got to show love. I've got to show kindness. I've got to show gentleness. So I can follow the example of Jesus Christ. That's how important it is. So yes, not everybody will respond or repay. But God desires that we respond with gentleness and kindness. And we're showing the patience and love that we need to show to everyone. Again, not just those that will repay it. Not just those that are the closest to us. As a matter of fact, there's a passage of scripture in the book of Luke. We don't have time to look at it. But Luke says, he, he says it this way. I'm going to paraphrase it. He says it this way. He says it's easy to show love to your friends and your family and those that are around you that are close to you. But he says, how about your enemies? Those that, those that would do you harm. Those that would try to, uh, 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 you know, perhaps treat you in a wrong way. He says, still, the gentleness and kindness and love and patience that we ought to have, there is an importance in that. Can I say this? We're going to need, this is why we need to ask God for it. We need to ask God for love and patience and gentleness and kindness because we're going to need it to be able to meet the spiritual needs of others that are around us. You know, we're living in a day in which uh, all around us people have needs, right? The greatest need they have is Jesus. And they need to see us shining our lights so that we can be the spiritual example and the spiritual light to them so that they can understand their need of salvation. We're going to need 
gentleness. It's so important. We need it because we've got to try to meet the spiritual needs of others that are around us. Can I say this? Just like a mother's gentleness, it's not always easy, is it? Would you agree with me? It's not always easy to show people kindness. It's not always easy to show people love or patience. Just like a mother would say, it's going to cost me something. It's not necessarily going to be convenient. It's not necessarily going to be easy. And you say, well, why is it not always easy to show kindness? Because when we show kindness and gentleness and love and patience, especially to somebody that doesn't repay or return that, we've got to humble ourselves and we've got to put the interest of somebody else ahead of us. And humanly speaking, we don't always like to do that, do we? Sometimes we like to be number one or we're, 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 we're concerned about ourselves. But gentleness makes us consider somebody else. But then there's a couple other reasons real quickly that we'll close with that helps us to understand the importance of gentleness. Number one, with our gentleness, we drive them away from Christ. Oh, how important it is for us to respond with love and patience and gentleness because it's going to be the difference of either driving people away from Christ or drawing them to Christ. May we, in gentleness, be able to share God's love with others because we had a kindness and a gentleness in our heart, just like we use the illustration of that mother. And then the last thought I want to give you about the importance of this gentleness is that gentleness is a sign. This is why it's so important, because it's a sign of your love for God. If you love God, the Bible says this, you're going to love others. And you're going to have a kindness in your heart unto another just because it's an evidence of the fact that you love God. I'm going to read verses at 1 John chapter 3, and I'll close this morning. 1 John chapter 3, look with me if you would, if you want, or I'll just take the time to read it if you'll listen. 1 John chapter 3, and I want us to read the last three verses of this chapter together, and I hope, hope it'll help down to verse number 18, and I hope it'll understand that our gentleness is a sign of our love for God. Notice this, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What's he saying there? He's saying God loved us and he showed it to us and proved it to us and demonstrated it by dying for us. We ought to have that kind of a love one for another. Verse, 18, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? He says the love of God ought to, ha ought to help us to have eyes to see the needs of others and try to do our very best with compassion to help them. Look at verse 18. My little children, love not, or excuse me, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Again, not just saying we have a love, but doing something about it. That word truth at the end of the verse, the idea of just being sin sincere or being real. Let's be real in our love. I want to say it this way as I close. Mothers, thank you for your gentle love. Thank you for your love to your children. Thank you for your love to others that are around you. And a, and a wonderful example that ladies and mothers are of love. The description that Paul used to describe the way he took care of the church. And he used you as an example, mothers. May we be mindful of that description. May we be mindful of the example of Jesus with his gentleness and his kindness and his love. And may we realize how important our kindness and our gentleness and love and patience is to others around us. So that we can point them to Jesus. We can demonstrate the love that God has in our hearts and we can have an opportunity to present the gospel to let our light shine to others that are around us. Father, I pray you'd bless this truth this morning and the gentleness of a mother that was used as an example. And Lord, I thank you for mothers that are here today.